0: The following reading of 1 Corinthians 12:31 to 14, 1 has been adapted from the NIV translation to better convey the nuances of the original language. A copy of this translation will be displayed on the screen and is available in the YouTube description below. Now eagerly desire the highest spiritual gifts, and I will show you a still higher road. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only banging brass or clanging a cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, Love is kind, not jealous, not boastful, not arrogant, not rude, not seeking what is for itself, not quick to anger, not recording wrongs, not rejoicing in unrighteousness, but rejoicing in truth. Love covers all, believes all, hopes all, and patiently endures all. Love never falls. As for prophecy, it will be discarded. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will be discarded. For our knowledge is imperfect, and our prophecy is imperfect. But when perfect comes, the imperfect will be discarded. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I discarded my childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. Then we shall see face to face. Now my knowledge is imperfect. Then I shall know fully, as I am fully known. And now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the highest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. The word of the Lord.
1: a question for you as we begin. How do you know what love is? Like, where do you get this idea of that's love and this is not? Is it a feeling? Is it based on something you've experienced? How do you... If you think about it, people talk a lot about love, but I don't know if we all are referencing the same thing when we talk about love. Most of our ideas of love come from culture, art, story, and film. Perhaps a bit from our own experience of what it means to be loved. And a lot of it comes from our music. In fact, a study of pop songs from 1960 to 2000 indicate that more than two-thirds of the top 40 hits in that period have love as the main subject. And then runner-up to love is songs about sex, making up 30% of them. So clearly, Based on what most of us enjoy listening to, America is in love with love. But what ideas of love do we get from our music? You know, songs may be set to moving melodies and catchy beats, but do we actually pay attention to how love is actually described? One Indian father points out some of the ridiculousness of these images that we use when he heckles his daughter singing the song Grenade by Bruno Mars. Take a look. Person
0: stuck on the front. I would go through all this is all fiction. What? What bullet? Tell me about your bullets. Magic bullet. Drink a smoothie,
1: go to sleep. You know, those are the images of love that we get. We sing them, but if we think about it, they can be quite ridiculous. When humans talk about love, it's like we're feeling around in the dark and grabbing. Oh yeah, yeah that's love. Oh, oh that's love but with with not really knowing how to describe all that love is. We're longing for love, and we're longing to be loved, but we're not quite sure what that love is. There's a story of the composer Mozart, who, after a night out on the town with his friends, would come home late when his father was already asleep in bed, and, and, and he would go, before heading upstairs, Mozart would go to the piano and quietly do this. wouldn't finish the scale and unfortunately his though his father was deep asleep he would be so bothered in his dreams and 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 his imaginations that he would come down the stairs and play (laughs) just so he could have his musical senses resolved you know from scripture we find that the call of love in many ways is the unfinished scale proceeding ahead of us into God's future the music of love that we're trying to play out in our lives to experience, of which we get glimpses of in all these images that we sing about and experience, those will be complete one day. So for us to walk truly in the way of love, it's helpful to look at how Scripture defines and conveys what love is, rather than merely looking at our experience of love and try to impose that or find that in God's character and in Scripture. The Christian faith sets love in this perspective. It's from the future looking back to us now, not from the past or not even from the present and how it shapes our future. It's the future love that we begin seeing a glimpse of in the life in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God's son. And because in Christ's resurrection, we get a glimpse of the future of us as God's children. So today's message, we're going to look at the way of love in relationships described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In what is often referred to as this hymn to love, we find Paul too often also uses images and descriptors to help us see this picture. But they are often set but they are set in this trajectory of future perfection for us. So we're going to talk about the way of love, the way of love formed, and the way of love complete. Now, if you've ever heard this passage, you've probably heard it at a wedding because this is like the most often requested wedding passage. And while the hymn to love is certainly appropriate material for two individuals joining together in marriage, just recall where this chapter is located in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It's sandwiched between two chapters on the exercise of spiritual gifts. And if you look up on the screen, you'll see it in the context of chapter 11 to chapter 14. Paul sets this in a larger essay on addressing public worship in the Corinthian church. And we see this hymn lies at the very center of this essay. The context is working out love in a diverse community is important. They're a community of diverse skin colors, of cultural backgrounds, a diversity of strengths and spiritual gifts. And perhaps this way of love has something to say about our diversity as a church and as a nation, a diversity that has been so intensely revealed In this week's election. Paul is drawing the focus to walking this way of love, not just in a romantic partnership, as we often hear this passage taught on, but as a community. If you look even closer at the next slide, sandwiched between the two chapters on exercising spiritual gifts in the worship service, we see love is at the very center of these three chapters between 12 and 14. If you continue further, you'll see that In this chapter itself, within this chapter, love is at the very center. In other words, love is at the center of the center of the center of Paul's larger essay. And by setting this this chiasm in this way, Paul is doing what the modern-day equivalent of watching a YouTube video is like with the same ad popping up every 30 seconds. He's saying, it's about love. It's about love. It's about love. It's about love. You get it yet? Do you see how Paul leads into and out of this chapter talking about the way of love from the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 14? He says, Now eagerly desire the highest spiritual gifts, and I will show you a most excellent way. That's what the NIV says. And then chapter 14, verse 1 says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. In 12, verse 31, the NIV translates the original Greek as a most excellent way. But the original language is actually very difficult to translate into English. It's In the Greek, it's kath, huperbolon, hodon. Along, kath, huperbolon, and then hodon, which means road. But what does this huperbolon word mean? Huperbolon, it it, uh, translates to the English word hyperbole. This word is a compound word made up of hyper, over, and balo, which is to throw. So it's indicating something about overshooting, throwing beyond, and Paul uses this word twelve times in the New Testament to intensify something either positively or negatively. So perhaps a more uh, than perhaps th- rather than translating it a more excellent way, uh, perhaps a better translation would be a higher road, because hyperbolon can also refer to a mountain pass. And there's support of this kind of imagery based on Paul's own usage in this chapter. He begins you know, 1231, look for the higher gifts, referred to as faith, hope, and love at the end of this chapter. And he talks about this journey over a high pass, this way of love. talks about faith that removes mountains. He talks about love that never falls. We often read it in the NIV as love that never fails, but the Greek word used there suggests a downward movement from a higher place. So perhaps love never falls is the better translation. You see, when you're mountain climbing, there's, <coughs> excuse me, there's this risk of falling. But Paul reminds them that this higher road of love does not carry the same risk because love does not fall. And in verse 13, he says, The highest of these is love. Run after love. Follow the way of love. In chapter 14, verse 1. You know, this journey over the mountain pass is hard because it's uphill. And you're to run and walk this way despite the hill. For the Corinthians, who are concerned about the spiritual gifts that will elevate themselves before others in the community, Paul is saying, if you're shooting for the top, then really shoot for the top. Shoot for the high road of love. How appropriate might this message be for us in our city and for this week in our nation? You know, in our city where people are vying for positions and recognition, and as counts have been coming in and being debated about who will come out on top for the presidency, for Senate, for Congress, in a church where we are discerning what kind of position on human sexuality might come out on top, could perhaps Paul's challenge to the Corinthian church also be one for all of us here? How can we follow a still higher road in the way of love? Paul continues uh, with the beginning of the message about, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but have not love, I am only a banging brass or clanging a cymbal. The city of Corinth was renowned for its metalwork. Paul and Priscilla and Aquila were all tent makers who probably plied their trade in that city, in their markets, and would no doubt recognize the sounds of a robust industry creating brass and bronze utensils and statues and artwork. These are the sounds he likely had in mind as he spoke of their speaking gifts being used in the church without love. It's just like a banging brass and clanging cymbals referred to in verse 1. Without love, the way the Corinthian church was using their gifts was forming an ear-piercing noise rather than serving the needs of the community. But metal also had another purpose in Corinth. We see that in verse 12. Before mirrors were made of glass and this thin layer of aluminum, as we have now in our homes, mirrors were made by forming brass ingots into plates and then polishing them until they were reflective. And a Corinthian metal worker, if they knew that you were a worshiper of Apollos or of Poseidon or of Aphrodite, they might etch an image of the god or goddess into this mirror for you. So when you looked upon it, you might see yourself amongst the gods. But these polished metal mirrors etched with the images of God made actually in man's image. Now we see dimly for Paul. These gods are not real and you're not really seeing the divine in yourself. But when we trust and follow Christ, there will come a time when we see God face to face. It will be unmediated, not reflected in an image etched mirror. And it's not even mediated through Zoom. You know, on the mirror, on that day, the mirror will fall from our hands. Our mobile voice devices will be put down and we will come face to face with our risen Savior, Jesus, whose loving presence we have been created to enjoy. This means that our knowledge, our spiritual gifts, the things that we see in the world that are unjust, they are now, these are all imperfect, but one day I shall see and I shall know as I am fully known by God. My knowledge of God will be complete. With these images of taking the high road and the forming of metal, Paul is reminding us that the way of love is formed over time. It's a way of love. And through this way of love, though this way of love certainly does bear much fruit and conjure deep emotions in us, it's not a product, it's not something to trade, it's not a feeling to seek out. This way of love is actually a process of becoming. In verse 4 to 7, there's this list of words that describe love, what love is and what love is not, that Amy so uh, aptly described for us with the emojis. Paul begins and ends this definition of love with two Greek words for patience. I'm going to draw your attention to three of these definitions in the list. The first of uh, these words for patience is macro thume in verse 4. It's made of macro, which means far away, opposite of micro, and thumos, which is anger. One who is patient is able to put anger far away. And this is the kind of patience that those who have power or those who have reason to retaliate for wrongs and lies and offenses done against them. They have the power and the right to do that, yet they refrain because of their patience, their loving patience. You know, Abraham Lincoln demonstrated macro-thume patience when the Civil War ended. Many wanted to punish the South for the rebellion. He had the power, he had the authority, and the ration, reason to do so. But in 1865, when Lincoln delivered his second inaugural speech, saying, with malice toward none, with charity for all, With firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace amongst ourselves and with all nations. Macrothume, patience. English doesn't have a word to capture this kind of patience, but God's people can live it out for others to see as they are formed in the way of love. The other Greek word for patience is found at the end of the list in verse 7. It's translated in the, in the NIV as always perseveres or patiently endures. This word is makes up is, is hupomene. Hupo is under, like hypodermic needle or hypothermia, and meno, which means remain. The, and it suggests this affliction under which one remains steadfast. You know, where macrothume patience is patience of the powerful, then hypomene patience is patience of the weak, of the oppressed. It is love that unflinchingly endures suffering. It's the love that Mary, standing and weeping silently at the foot of the cross, demonstrates this kind of love. Mary has no power. She has no agency to change this terrible sight of her son who has been beaten and is hanging on the cross. And her only choice is to exercise hupomene patience at great cost. She remains watching as he takes his last breath, rather than departing the scene of suffering. And Jesus, too, is a supreme example of this virtue when he endures the suffering on the cross for the sins of the world, for you and for I. You know, our black brothers and sisters have demonstrated in our First Nations uh, Native Americans have demonstrated hupo-mene patience for generations and centuries in a white racist culture. And I think those of us who are advocating for racial justice can also be inspired for, by the hupo-mene patience of our fellow citizens. While pushing for change, we also push for change with macro-thume patience. You know, those of us who have social or material power are reminded to be formed in macro patients, thinking of the hupomene patients that our LGBTQ sisters and brothers, our singles, and our persons with disabilities have endured. Both of these two understandings of patients allow us to be formed more fully in the way of love as an entire community. These two kinds of patients provide these bookends to all the other characteristics of love that Paul describes for us. And I want to unpack one more love that Paul lists here that presents might present a conundrum for us. You know, the NIV translates this love as keeps no record of wrongs, using that little pencil uh, emoji. It comes from the accounting world, inviting us to erase the ledger of wrongs that have been suffered. But... The question is, is what happens when these wrongs are so deep and these abuses are hurtful and lasting? Do we just forget about those? It's often really hard to forget trauma that affects us to our subconscious being. But at the same time, we don't want those offenses to consume us forever. In fact, it seems kind of weird here because Paul himself seems to remember the wrongs that the Corinthians have done against him. In fact, it's why he writes the letters to them. So what's going on with Paul? Paul had this list of offenses, and he remembered them, but he did not brag about how much he suffered or demand to even the score. His suffering did not dictate how he would respond to his persecutors. Miroslav Volf wrote in The End of Memory, remembering rightly in a violent world, saying this. He had experienced uh, torture, months of torture in Yugoslavia after being interrogated for months by security, the communist security forces. He says this, When we are in God, we find that God does not take away our past. God gives it back to us. Fragments gathered, stories reconfigured, selves truly redeemed, people forever reconciled. Our minds will be wrapped in the goodness of God and the goodness of God's new world, and the memories of wrongs will wither away like plants. Without water. You know, for Paul, love, keeping no record of wrongs, means that memories of his suffering weren't just erased, but they did not return uninvited to haunt him. They were there, but they did not control his present or his future. At the same time, they weren't buried, festering, and subconsciously influencing all that he said and did. The pus was now gone from his wounds. Because of where he saw the way of love, leading. God's love was leading to a future, this reality who's changing, this future reality that changes the present and his past. For Paul, though this higher 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 road of love is a journey and is a process of formation now, there is a clear end and a defined point that this road is heading towards. The higher road of love is greater than the highest spiritual gifts. And in the final verses, Paul points to this future using two images of completion or of perfection. One is of a child growing to maturity, and the other is of a mirror's reflection that we've mentioned earlier. In verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I discarded my childish ways. Maturing to completion is a theme that Paul has already introduced in chapter 3 when he rebukes them for acting like infants with their squabbling. They were guilty of pursuing spiritual gifts that they thought would get all the YouTube likes and all the social media shares. But Paul is saying, you're measuring things by the wrong standard. Those gifts that are considered woke are just child's play. Paul is saying, give me the real deal. Give me my humanity that will last for eternity into God's new world. Give me love, which is the highest form of being known, of knowing and being known. You know, with these images, Paul is reminding the Corinthians that those supposedly higher gifts they think will complete them will indeed not. There will come a time of knowing, a knowing of God, a knowing of love that overwhelms all possible knowledge that we could ever have now we're given a glimpse into this future knowing of love in Jesus' resurrection. So if you put verse 10 and verse 12 together and see, when perfect comes, when perfect arrives, then I shall know fully as I am fully known. When perfect arrives in Jesus and the fullness of God's kingdom, then I will know as I am intended to, as, I, as I've been created to know. Since Jesus' resurrection, the scale leading to its completion has begun. Since Jesus' resurrection, the destination in this way of love can be known. What matters now is not your knowledge of God, but God's knowledge of you. And in this life to come, you will one day know God in the way that God fully knows you now. That's where this way of love is leading. So I invite you, set your course of action accordingly. Advocate for justice with this way of love in mind. Vote for your candidates with this way of love in mind. Talk with those who see the world differently with this way of love in mind. Walk in love with the other half of the nation that voted differently than you this week. Love patiently. Love with enduring patience. Whether that's the powerful patience or the suffering enduring patience. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And as esteemed New Testament historian N.T. Wright remarks on this passage, he says this So think and act within God's timeline. If you do that, you will not only see how important love is and will be able to resist the temptation to factional fighting, to perpetuating social divisions at the Lord's Supper, and to boasting over spiritual gifts. You will also see the spiritual gifts themselves in their proper light. They are temporary helps for building up the church in the present age. And as such, it's important to learn to use them aright. Love at present and unfinished scale is what will last into God's new world. One day, the son himself will come down and complete the music. Until that time comes, until we see Jesus face to face, fully play that funky music and walk this way, Walk this way of love that forms you into the complete person that God already knows you to be. And may it be so, to the glory of God. Amen.